Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast. This episode, we are talking to the Naked Farmer. His name is John David Harrison, and he is a hungry agripreneur. Um, he's actually really revolutionizing the food supply chain with his hydroponic solutions and his company AGR1. And I think you're going to find this fascinating. If you are involved in food in any way, whether that's production or processing, this is an absolute must listen. So without further ado, enjoy yourselves. Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Um, today I'm speaking to a fascinating character, John David Harrison, also known as the Naked Farmer. John, hi, welcome to the show. Brenton, how are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really looking forward to talking to you because we've already had a good yarn when we were first introduced a week ago. We did, didn't we? We did. We, in fact, we had to, we thought, let's just stop talking now and let's get, get onto the <laughs> podcast. So we booked in the podcast. So, so really, thank you for, for so quickly wanting to, to come on the show. And um, I'm really excited about what you're going to be um, letting our listeners know all about. Um, before I introduce you, um, I am going to say that we're talking about hydroponics today. And the fact that we're about to go through the what's being dubbed the referendum here in New Zealand, where we... Um, we're we're um we're voting on whether or not cannabis should be legalized um anybody else talking about hydroponics um which is what john does um would be talking about that very subject and we're not going to do that today we're not going to put more of the the cannabis conversation into the ether we're going to talk to john about how hydroponics can potentially save the species um it's it's an amazing um thing that you do john why don't you tell my listeners all about all about what you do yeah well i don't think we can talk about it without touching on on cannabis and marijuana and hemp um because like you've said you know most people when they hear the, the term hydroponics you know automatically think of of cannabis um you know and, and even myself with, with my first ever introduction to to cannabis and marijuana and to hydroponics they went hand in hand um and you, you listen to a a rapper, a hip-hop song from the 90s and noughties, and you hear that word hydro getting banded about. Um, you know, it's it's the best way to cultivate cultivate that plant. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, Switzerland and, and Holland have, have had fantastic results, both in cultivating marijuana and cannabis that way, um, but also, especially Holland, have, with regards to cultivating things from bell peppers, tomatoes, leafy green produce, and other edible foods um right their setups are incredible aren't they yeah it it is you know it's 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 pretty much the mecca for for the rest of the world to to take note and and learn from um you know obviously there was some of the death that took place in holland during the first and second world war was partly down to, to conflict but the majority of it was down to starvation um and at the end of the the second world war they took you know mass action as a government they they didn't set up think think tank groups and talk about what they could do they took action and they incentivized the people and they made a great infrastructure in place for for farming to become something which was industrialized and they realized hydroponics was the way to go and 
again, a lot of people seem to think that hydroponics is some new science and, and, and technology. The technology that we're using is, is new and, and us as a company, AGR1, the technology that we're using is, is, is new and developed only within the last decade or so really. Um, but the, the word hydroponics is a Greek word, so it dates back to the ancient Greeks. Um, we now know that you know, the ancient Chinese, the Aztecs, and, and even the ancient Egyptians, the, the ancient Egyptians were, were farming on rafts on the Nile. Um, so this is probably as, as, as old as time, as old as man. Um, and, and somewhere along the way, we've, we've got lost and, and have decided that soil-based farming is the way to go. Um, and, and it's Do you think this predates like irrigation? Do you think this is where we were originally potentially growing some things, or certainly within the mix of that uh, of early man's um, food food supply chain? Yeah, because well, you know a, a plant needs you know, three key elements to grow. It needs light, water, and nutrients. Um, and provided there's nutrients in the water and there's light for the plant to be able to grow, it's it's going to grow. Um, and that's, you know, when, when you're, even when you're farming in soil, you know, even if you're in a, living in an apartment or you've, in your kitchen window, you, you put a plant near where it's got natural light um, and you make sure that it gets enough water and uh, there's some nutrients in the soil. And the beautiful part about hydroponics over what is referred to as traditional agriculture, and there's not much, not, not, there isn't much traditional, uh, anything a tradition, sorry, about, you know, having a field with, 50,000 heads of lettuce or 100,000 onions in perfect lines. You know, natural things grow naturally where they want to grow. Um, but with hydroponics, plants aren't having to stress and, and work underneath the ground with their roots using 60 to 80 percent of their energy, trying to work through the dark soil to find the, the water and the nutrients that a plant requires to be able to grow. You know, in our systems and most of the systems around, they sit submerged in their water and nutrients so, so the roots are just you know absorbing what they need the plant above the table or whatever the system might be is just absorbing the light that it requires be it if it's in a greenhouse or if it's in a, a vertical light shelf stack system mm -hmm. it's getting the light that it requires and then the, the, the other real key element in, in farming is temperature you know, every plant has its own optimal temperature all plants are different just like all people seem to be different with their own temperatures um, so it's about making sure that the plant is in the right temperature and it's not stressed because when it's grown outdoors in a field, like I said, the roots are doing all of this hard work underneath the ground, trying to find the water and the nutrients that it requires. But then above the ground, the plant's stressed because the temperature rises through the day and then drops substantially through the evening. And it does that on a day-to-day -day basis. And then it's, you know, at the perils of all of these other elements, which are out of the control of a, a farmer, be it. You know, too much sunshine, not enough sunshine, too much wind, not enough wind, too much cloud cover, not enough cloud cover, insects, you know, birds, depending where you are, monkeys, there's all kinds of different you know, element risks that are in place. And you know, the farmers can be a day, two days, a week away from having their greatest ever harvest. And then something happens that's totally out of their control and they can lose their entire crop. And you know, farming has been... A, a, a hellish of an industry for people to work in over the last hundred plus years and and things are about to change with that and it needs to change because you know I, I was on a podcast last year with a chap called Charlie McKenzie on um, crop talk and I, I said a statistic that 
the following day, I went onto my LinkedIn and saw a video from the the World Health Organization and the statistic that I'd quoted the day before, I was massively out on. You know, I'd said that we we were using 70% of our fresh water use every year in farming. Well, the real number now is we're using over 92% of our fresh water consumption. And you know, let, let's let's be grown up. Isn't that a global figure? That's a global figure, yeah. And wow. that's that's when you take into account, you know, let's be grown up and let's say there's 8 billion people on earth. You know, the, the official number, even with coronavirus this year, it's 7 points. It's, it, it, it's, it's surpassed 7.7 billion people this year. Um, so let's let's round it up to the nearest big number. Let's say there's 8 billion people on earth. With, with the 8 billion people and with all of the different industries that there are, agriculture is responsible for the use of over 92% of our fresh water consumption every year. Now, you know, We'll, the world will never fully run out of fresh water because the reserves are always slowly being restocked. But we're you know, taking out from that reserve and the reserves faster than they are being refilled. Um, so certainly for that industry, there it is, as you say, the water will be replaced. It goes through around the water. Slowly, slowly, slowly. it's replaced. But that is, Not at the pace that's being withdrawn. And, hey, um, and then you combine other um, infrastructure issues. Like New Zealand, we're, we're in Auckland, we're still in our drought. We're just coming out of winter. And, um, yeah, water water consumption is crazy. It's it's funny how – and, hey, I New Zealand has a lot to thank um, agriculture for. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly important part of our um, culture, but – but, and again, it is somewhere where I know the government and the farming unions and the farming associations, are, um, the likes of Fonterra, are really focusing on the water consumption. But 92%, I had no idea it was that kind of level. And then, and then with, with what, what, the, what farming produces every year, it's, it's over 40%, so close to half of what's, what's produced, what's manufactured, ends up getting thrown away it gets thrown away at the farm because it's not of the quality that supermarkets are prepared to take um, or it just gets lost in the supply chain and you know because the supply chain the global supply chain you know in my opinion it was broken before 2020 and, and what's happened this year um, but it's, it's been taken to the, the full extent of its breaking point this year where you know we can't have it where Italian basil is grown in Italy and then air freighted to Holland to an international wholesaler and then air freighted to, you know, New Zealand and then distributed around or to, you know, into Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and then down to Singapore or wherever it might be. You know, produce takes anywhere from six to 10 days sometimes to get from the farm to actually be on a shelf. And it's a global issue, this, you know, I, I spent time working on the cruise ships. I saw it firsthand there where you know, some parts of the world we could get exceptional produce, other parts of the world we didn't get good produce. And it's the same, having lived around the world and you know, being a customer in supermarkets, when you buy things, you take it home. If you don't use it that day, you forget to use it the next day. Usually on the third day, you've got to throw it away. Um, but whereas with our produce, with AGR1's produce, which we, we brand as naked because we're, we're naked of chemicals and pesticides at the farm, we're, we're naked of packaging waste because at the moment we're only supplying to professional kitchens. And having been a chef in, in my earlier years, I, I learned that you know every kitchen appliance globally, including the ones at home, are designed and built to fit nine industry-sized containers. And when I was training as a chef, you know 
the produce would come into a kitchen in all of these different types of single-use packaging. And first two or three hours of my day every day were bringing in deliveries, taking it out of the single-use packaging, throwing some of the produce away, then throwing all of the packaging away, but putting the produce that was good into one of the nine industry-sized containers that we used, then doing a, a, you know, a, a color sticker system for which day it had been brought into our kitchen, and then putting it into our appliance. And I asked the question as a 16-year-old, like, you know, why, why doesn't this just come in, in these containers? I was told it was a stupid question. Don't ask stupid questions. Do your job. Um, and again, then on the cruise ships, you know, it was it was really evident how you know, how bad the extent of, of, of what the supply chain is, is creating is. Um, they did a feasibility study across the Carnival fleet, which was Carnival, Costa Cruises, Seaborn, Princess, Cunard, and some others. And they took stuff out of a, a picked one kitchen on board each ship that did three services a day for a week, and they took a bin out of each service and then went through the bin to find what was in there, separated it into three separate piles of one being fresh produce, one being single-use packaging, and one being food waste. And there's always going to be food waste in a kitchen, be it a professional kitchen in a restaurant, hotel, cruise ship, or our kitchens at home, because we're going to make too much food for what gets served, or we're going to serve too much food for what gets eaten. Um, but the statistic was, you know, was just absolutely shocking. It was 32% of a kitchen's bin was fresh produce, and 36% was single-use packaging. Um, and when you when you work in a in a kitchen, it's very hard for you to you know, take the time to start saying, okay, well, that's a single-use packaging that can be recycled, and that's one that can't be recycled, and having all of these separate bins. But there's no reason why we can't have a system in in, in this day and age where you know, all of the produce that goes into a kitchen at home, you know, in, into a supermarket or into a professional kitchen is in one of these nine size containers, or it's in a biodegradable, fully recyclable package. Um, so that time cannot be wasted, you know, segregating things and what is going into the bin can be used for, you know, biofuels and composts because smartphones are exceptional now. Everyone has one, you know, even when you go into some of the third world countries, there are people you know, starving, there are people begging, and they've got access to a smart, they have a smartphone, um, be it a first or a second generation iPhone or Samsung phone or whatever it might be. And this year, everyone now knows what a QR code is. When I was talking about QR codes a couple of years ago, people didn't know what they were. But, you know, our, our intention is that with our, our boxes, we'll put QR codes on our boxes so that when things are delivered to a professional kitchen, the chef just scans the box. It's then straight into their inventory. We then know that they've got it. Then in the middle of a service, if, if the box or when the box runs out, the chef just scans the box, clicks reorder, and that's their reordering process done, as opposed to whereas at the moment, at the end of every service in the kitchen around the world, they have to do a stock take. It doesn't really work. There's a lot of time being being sapped by this, and you know we're looking to, to move everything in, in both the, the, the farming sector, but also the subsequent food supply chain into the modern age. Mm. We're talking about QR codes. It's the second clever use of QR codes that I've heard this week. It's funny, when I, QR codes, I, we, we were talking about this. I remember discussing QR codes in 2012, which they were, they were well out by then as well. And not, not, nothing's ever really happened with them. They've really taken... Um, They've really found their their mark this year in New Zealand with the COVID tracing app, but um, there's a there's a 
great group of guys that I work with called the Cookie Project, who um, are a social enterprise, who um, they have um, disability uh, people with, who, who are their bakers and they create these cookies, the most delicious cookies that you, you can. They've got these dynamic QR codes on the back of the cookies so that you can be introduced to the bakers. So wh wherever your cookies are coming from, you know exactly where they're coming from. I love how that ties in because when I'm thinking from the consumer's perspective, we don't think about this. We go to our restaurants and we go into, a, we, we give our money to hospitality. All of the... Um, the single-use plastic plastic that you talk about and the um, the waste. Well, we don't get to see any of that unless you've worked. My first job was washing dishes in a in a, in a local hotel, so you, I, I was I was I saw it. I did see it firsthand, but most people don't. So, so I love the way your packaging can bring people further into the actual process. And yeah, and, and it's the same for us. You know, when we get to the scale of, of being able to go into supermarkets, you, know, you think about. The last time you went to the supermarket, you've walked walk down any of the aisles in the store and you see a brand and you automatically know what the product is. You know, you, know, you, you've, you have an idea and understanding of, of what you're buying and what, what you're, what's in front of you. But when you walk down the fresh produce aisle, you see bananas, you know the bananas, but you don't know how they were farmed, where they were farmed, how long it's taken to get from that farm. And obviously you can walk over and you can see that it says, you know, the the nation that it's come from but then you still have no understanding as to how long ago that was harvested where it's been between harvests and and reaching the supermarket shelf now like i said earlier you know because of hydroponics and because of the systems that are, that exist now and the technology that exists we don't have to solely farm italian basil in italy we could farm italian basil in new zealand we're growing it here in malaysia likewise with lettuce with, with whichever crop you want it to be, we can create a system and an environment for that crop to grow anywhere in the world. So air freighting produce, you know, it works to some extent before that, because because most of us who are people who will be listening to this, yourself and myself, friends and that, you know, we've we, we've been lucky that we and we still are lucky at the moment. We can go to the supermarket and the shelves are stocked, and and there's food there for us to be able to purchase, but. People don't have any understanding and any idea as to you know, where it's come from, how long it's taken to get there. And when you think of, you know, you buy a pen off Amazon, you can track that pen to your door and you can find out all of the locations it's been through. And that's for a well, pen. Well, trackability is now one of the, the six corner corners of uh, um, the CX6. If yep. you, we now expect to have, be able to track what's happening. Yep. Why, yep. We, don't, we, we never think about that with our food. But again, this year, people are starting to become a lot more switched on and aware and wanting to know more about how their food has been farmed, where it's been farmed. And for us, you know, we're not going to allow our produce to be air freighted. We're not going to sell our produce to anywhere outside of a 200 mile radius of, of a facility, because the more facilities that we build, we create jobs in the building of the greenhouse and the facility. We then create jobs working inside of the greenhouse in the planting, the managing, the harvesting, the packaging. And then we also want to be our own, you know, our own wholesaler, because the wholesalers are they they have driven and they do drive the price of farmers right down to the rock bottom price that a farmer can afford to sell produce at. And it's the farmer that does all of the work. It's the farmer that's out, you know, in, in traditional farming in open air field. They're, they're out in the fields all day, all year round, you know, really working hard. 
to, to be able to grow their produce. And then they sell it at the cheapest possible price or the, the, they're affordable to be able to sell it to, to make a profit. Sometimes they don't make profit farmers. Um, and then the wholesaler literally puts it into their truck, drives it a few miles down the road. Sometimes they just flip it and sell it to another wholesaler. But they make 100, 200% markups on what they're buying it for. And they don't really ultimately care about the quality of the produce. Well, the quality no, of the produce is getting worse and worse, I believe. Indeed. And every time, every time something's you know, washed, repackaged, it's losing its quality, its nutritional value, its taste. And you know, it, it's, it's almost like a ticking time bomb, fresh produce, once it's been harvested. It's got a, a very limited life of it having its best quality. And that's why you know, we rarely get very good quality tomatoes in supermarkets nowadays. You know, most people, probably under the age of 20, have never tasted a real tomato. You think back to your grandma growing tomatoes or one of your neighbors growing tomatoes in their greenhouse and they were you know, right picked. They, they were literally they, they were ready to fall off the vine. That's why they got picked and why they got eaten. You know? I, have to, I have to say that in New Zealand, we are very lucky. I mean, this is a nation that really loves growing its own food. I've never done it on the scale. I never thought I'd be doing it. That isn't well, when my dad had a veggie patch, you know, um, back in the, the, the early 80s. Um, but. You know, we've 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 bought this house a, a few years ago, and it's got the most amazing tangerine tree or mandarin tree. We've got our own lemon tree. There's also this thing in New Zealand um, that I love that we 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 tend to, or a lot of people, and I'll put my hands up and say I'm one of them, is we take the baby's placenta and we bury bury it under a, a tree, a fruit tree, or a or a cowrie or something like that. And my son, for instance, he grows. His placenta grows the most amazing lemons. So so your idea of growing is very, I think it's a very, I think it would be very welcome here in New Zealand. How how do we get people on this journey? Because what well, before we get onto the journey, let's let's not move away quite yet from all of the massive pain points in the human condition that I think you are helping with. What more nutritious food? Your packaging, you've you've mentioned the QR code. But what about the um, the edible nature of it? I love that. Yeah, well, I mean, just and they're, they're not they're not mine. They're just some of the, the some of that that are out there in the market that we want to be able to use. Um, but th there's a handful, um, and to name two of them that I've I've got the best understanding about of, of, of what's available. There's there's one which is made from a shellfish waste. So they take all of the you know, shellfish crustacean that doesn't get eaten and consumed. And they break this down and make it in. They can make two types of packaging. They can make a wrap pack, like cellophane wrap, and they can make semi-rigid boxes. Um, this can increase the produce shelf life by up to 70%. And once you're finished with it... It's like an alternative to foil. An alternative, well, an alternative to plastic, you know, petrochemical derivative plastics. Um, and yeah, once, you, once you've finished with the packaging put it in your plant pot if you live in an apartment or you put it in your soil in the garden and within two to three weeks it's fully biodegraded and it gives your soil higher nutritional and vitamin content how good is that that is excellent <laughs> what's this called or have you is it a, has it has this product got a name Do you know yeah um give me a second i'll find out who it is um is, is anybody who's listening to the show or you know the the, the um a growing audience who's involved in the food industry, their ears should be pricked right up at this conversation, because I certainly know that the that we're working we're working with um, a wonderful guy called Luke Makepeace through the Catalyze Group, 
and um, he's got a wonderful product called the Merrier. And they are, I mean, it's the same outcome that they're trying to to, to achieve here in many ways. Um, they certainly believe that there's there's larger pain points than just like the nutritional pain points that stem from this, like health professionals that are recommending a certain level of food and a diet. Well, they've got no way of being able to guarantee that the food you're buying is anywhere close to what they ideally think you should be getting out of the nutrition that they're recommending, or it must be getting harder and harder for food processes to produce really nutritious food. If from what I understand it, there's almost been in some cases a like a, um, a 90% drop in nutrition that's available from, from supermarket fruit and veg compared to what we were getting 20, 30 years ago. Would I be right in yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And a big part of, of what's created is what's accelerating that in a lot of produce is the actual packaging that things have been put in. Um, you know, when it's put in a plastic packaging, the produce can't breathe properly. It's it's sweating as much as it can, basically, and it's just basically going off faster um, because it's wrapped in a, a petrochemical derivative. But the, 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 the company is a company called um, Carapac, C-A-R-A-P-A-C, um, their co-founder Kimberly Bolton is is one of the the girls that's, that's founded that, um, and that's I, I just find it brilliant. You know, it, it, it's a great alternative because that's just something which is a kitchen waste which would normally just get thrown. Um, and they're they're based in Australia, and I th- I'm pretty sure they've got operations now in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and Perth. Um, but then another alternative, which is the one that you were saying about with regards to being edible, um, is one which is made from a seaweed extract. Um, and there's a few companies that do this. There's there's a company in Indonesia that do it. There's a company in Brazil that do it. Um, and I think there's a couple of others out there as well. But they take a seaweed extract, break it down, and again, they can make a, a wrap and a semi-rigid box. But whereas with this one, you know, it's, it's one where once you finish with the packaging, you put it into water, it dilutes. And then you, the consumer, can drink it, and it gives you a vitamin content, um, which, you know, <laughs> how amazing is that? And I, um, listeners, we're, you can't see us, but we're both just grinning when you when you hear about these ubiquitous homogenous pain points that we all experience, and you and you hear that there's these wonderful solutions. How can you not think? I mean, that's that's the sort of progress we should be hearing about. Exactly. Um, before we get on to AGR1 and Naked, which for New Zealand listeners, they're going to, it's the same, same spelling as the, the, the New Zealand brand in some way. And I believe that there's some link there as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us, tell us about AG, AGR1, um, what you're doing, where you are specifically. I mean, I love the, I love the fact that, that what you've been telling us about the 200 mile radius, but how are you spreading? I guess what I'm interested in is how are you spreading this apart from being on podcasts like me? How can we help you get this to more and more people and to, to like surely everyone in the farming industry and everyone in the food production industry, they, they should be embracing this as a way to, at the very least, um, increase profits, even if that's the only thing that they care about. Um, so we, we have a, a, an offshore holding entity, which is Avengers, which are the, the Avengers of agriculture. Um, because a, bi- a big part of what I want to do as well is, you know, I want to inspire and, and you know, I just want to inspire kids to get into farming. And if, if we walked into I mean, your, your little boy starts school tomorrow and you know, my son's at school, if, if we walked into any school, any part of the world, 
and ask the kids to put their hands up who wants to be a you know an Instagram influencer or a Facebook influencer or a singer or a dancer or an actor or a celebrity everyone would put their hands up if we said who wants to be a farmer you know the kids would probably laugh at us um, you know, this has got to change that the average age of a farmer globally is 62 years old and um, where's our food coming from in, in, in the next 10 years um, because farmers children inherently don't end up following their family into farming their parents because they see what a tough industry it is and, and how hard their, their parents or father or mother have had to work and they, they take a different path and things are changing you know, thanks to Holland, thanks to the Chinese in the last 10 years involvement of making this a lot more commercially viable and, and scalable. You know, the industry is, is ready to expand and has to expand now um, because we don't have enough land to feed the next two to three billion people that are going to arrive over the next two decades. You know, we, we need to look at an alternative method of farming, which one makes the food much more widely available and producible, but also that doesn't use anywhere near the levels of water that, that, that traditional farming uses. Because um, I didn't, didn't get a chance to touch on it earlier, got sidetracked there, but you know, traditional farming using that amount of water, and that's because most of the water gets wasted in soil-based farming. You, know, you pour the water onto a soil. If you think about when you've watered a plant pot at home, you pour too much water into the plant pot, the water ends up coming out the bottom of the plant pot. That's all that's happening in traditional farming. It's, it's close to it's sometimes over 99% of the water that's used just filters through the soil, and that's what it's actually doing. It's filtering the soil. It's creating this thing called agricultural runoff, which is the biggest non-point pollution source of, of all of the industries. It's working its way back into the underground water systems, which then run off into the streams and the oceans. It's changed the pH of the ocean. It's killing off crustacean and larvae of, of the fish, which is another food point source for us. Well, it's, a, it's a hot um, topic here in New Zealand before the election as well, like water quality. We've obviously got massive dairy farming here. And um, yeah, water quality is huge on people's agendas. But with, with hydroponics, you know, we, we don't waste water. The water, you know, doesn't, once it's been, once it goes through a system in the table, it goes back into the tanks, gets re-neutralized and, and, and then gets fed back into the system. We don't waste any of the water. The plant takes the water and what the plant doesn't take, it gets, it just recirculates basically. Um, so that, that's, that's that side of it. But, you know, like I said, we, we've got, so we have an offshore entity, which is Agvengers, um, and then we have subsidiary what's your, what's your super agricultural hero's name? Are you the naked farmer, obviously, but do you have an alter ego with your cape? No, 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 I don't. I don't. <laughs> there's, there's, um, you know, there's a few, there's a few guys that are working for us that have, that have kind of got their own names, but I'm, I'm not going to share them. That's for them to okay. be able to share, um, at some point in the future. But um, no, I, I just, I mean, being known as, as the naked farmer, I, I find that quite ironic because. I chose to go into to a kitchen to be a chef because I was inspired as a 12, 13 year old kid by Jamie Oliver, um, who was the naked farmer, sorry, the naked chef. And it's, it, it, it's, it is pure, you know, well, I don't believe in coincidences, but it is a coincidence to some extent that we're called naked because um, as you mentioned there earlier, you know, there's, there's the, the, the water company from New Zealand, Naked Water, which is the purest bottled water on earth. And in the, the infant stage of me deciding I wanted to, move away from working for some other hydroponic companies in the industry and, and go it my own because the reason I went into this space. Was, Why did you do that? Because that's an interesting story, I believe. 
I just didn't feel like there was anybody in this space that's really looking to be the, the dominator of the industry. Um, most of the founders that I've spoken with or have heard speak are, are doing this for an exit. Um, they've, got, they've got a plan and, and they know what they want to do and they want to get to a certain valuation and exit. But you know, I, I don't see there being any end game to this industry. It's, it's not just a matter of growing food. Obviously, you know, most people in New Zealand, most people around the world, as we touched on earlier, are familiar that this is a great way to cultivate cannabis. Um, but there's, there's two different types of a cannabis plant. There's marijuana, which is you know, obviously smokable, edible, and has a number of other byproducts that can be used for. How many byproducts right. were you telling me there is in hemp? This was there's, cool. o- there's over 50,000 byproducts. Um, I mean, there's some great videos. One, one of you just do a YouTube search or a Google search of Henry Ford hemp. Um, you'll see a video from you know, the 1930s, 1940s of Henry Ford growing you know, huge fields of hemp, and then they used the hemp. They made a, they were making cars. Um, I mean, there, there was an American car manufacturer in 2011 built a sports car 100% out of hemp, and it ran on hemp biofuel. But Henry Ford was doing that, you know, close to 100 years ago. Um, you know, building materials, clothing, you know, it, the, the list is mind-boggling as to, to how many byproducts there are. And that's before there's been a few billion dollars spent on research and development on the plant to find out exactly what else we can we can manufacture from from one plant. Um, and you, yes, it was illegal, and it still is illegal in a number of countries. But you have to look at why plant was made legal and, and demonized you know at the time 100 years ago when it happened globally it was a threat to two of the biggest industries in the world being cotton and, and tobacco and they had real power and sway and and they were able to you know bribe officials and governments around the world into you know making the, the plant illegal and demonizing it um and you know, there's there's so many great uses to the plant aside aside from the recreational side of things, and you know, for the referendum that's about to take place in in New Zealand, you know, the, the best case study to use, in my opinion, is California. Um, you know, I was I was fortunate to spend some time living there in California in Silicon Valley, and I was there just before it was made legalized for recreational use, but it was legal at that stage for, for medicinal and I was prescribed it by my doctor for, for the migraines that I was suffering at the time um, and it worked. But you know, you look at the, the state of California in the first 12 months of it legalizing medicinal marijuana, it generated more tax revenue that year than the wine industry and the wine industry is probably one of the oldest industries along with mining in the state of California. Um, and then you, uh, I've been to California since then and the infrastructure that they have in place and the amount of jobs it's created for the recreational side of it is, is exceptional. And, and the products that are being manufactured, not just for smoking and, and edible, but, you know, the, the creams for those people who've got arthritis and all kinds of other things. You know, this this is this is a great opportunity to, to create a new sector, create so many sustainable long term jobs for New Zealand, but then the products can also be available then for export. And you know, New Zealand's, you know, like, like you touched on earlier, it's, it's a very arable place, but then it has great light, it has great water, um, you know, it rains. It makes some of the best wine in the world down in the South Island. Well, even just over the, the bay in, in Waiheke. We're just blessed with the... Uh, um, I, I knew a winemaker that used to go over to, the, to France every year when I was Back living in in London, he said the French winemakers would be so jealous 
because they said our vintage years were the years where the weather was perfect for like for the whole 12 months and um, the temperatures were exactly right. And said, where you are, and I, he was he was in Marlborough in the Marlborough region. And they said, every year for you is a vintage year. It's just, it's just not fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that, that though, what you're saying there about vintage years, we we can replicate vintage, you know, there's, there's archives of weather. So where you have, you know, vintage years of, of wine in a certain region or a certain crop, be it Italian basil, whatever it might be, there, there is data on, on those years and for the last 100 plus years now. So we can look at what the, the weather was like, what the temperatures were, the humidity, the oxygen, et cetera, and we can replicate that inside of facilities. So again, with me saying that there's no end game to, to what we'll, we, we want to do and achieve in, in hydroponics with AGR1 and Naked, because everything will fall under the Naked brand. Um, but you know, I, I do see a way that we will go into the wine sector and we will be cultivating grapes hydroponically inside of controlled environments, replicating years to replicate vintage years of wine. There's no reason why you can't grow French grapes, you know, French wine in, in New Zealand or in Australia or, or in where, you know, whichever country you want it to be. You know, some, sometimes in some parts of the world, you do have to use light subsidies. That's what they have to do in Holland for around eight months to nine months of the year. They do have to have LED light subsidies and because they don't get the natural light. They're also, they're, I mean, let's be honest, they don't have any, I don't think there's any original French vineyards anymore, are there? I think there was a big, great, there was a, there was a massive blight a few hundred years ago and they ended up having to bring in, um, to transplant them in from, the new world from America and from I believe there's quite a few vineyards down in Melbourne where some of their some of their vines were what actually repopulated the the French um, vineyards. Yeah, I believe so. Gosh, I hope I'm not talking out of my bum there. Uh, sure, sure, pick that up. Um, what's the entry point for somebody like me? Like I'm, I imagine that I actually full disclosure, I wanted to be a farmer. I was born. I was born not a million miles away from where you are. Um, I was born in Blackpool and my dad was from Blackburn and he had friends that were in the farming industry. I was certainly given the self-limiting belief that really in the UK and the Northwest, you only got into farming if you were left a farm. You know, far, it was, it was, it used to be very much a legacy um, uh, trade. It was passed on from father to son or through the family. Now this really does give people, anybody, potentially with a bit of space of whatever type an entry point into becoming a farmer so how, what is my entry point how do i how do i fulfill my boyhood dreams and well, we're, we're looking at we're, we're looking at the uh, basically having a subsidiary entity of, of agr1 in every nation in the world um to be able to obviously have our own facilities but then also to have a a franchise model effectively um, where it will be like a plug and play system for people. So, you know, the, like the Airbnb of farming, let's, let's call it, there's people out there who have got land um, and they might, they might want to work in the farm themselves. They might not want to work in the farm. They might just want to you know, invest and, and have their own facility built on their land. They don't have to be there. They don't have to have any you know, involvement in it. It just earns them a passive income. Or for some people, you know, some people like like yourself, like the idea of actually having a greenhouse and pottering around inside the greenhouse, having some some staff that work under you, and 
everything just being provided to you so it's plug and play you know you get all of the training from the expertise that we have and from the other experts we'll bring in as the as we grow as a company um you know and, and with that you'll you'll get the the rights to be able to use the naked branding because again we're not often a little bit of a side tangent there earlier but when we was in the infant stage setting hr one we like tangents on half time right? <laughs> so but yeah in the infant stage of setting up hr one as met with a beer for a beer with a friend of mine adrian shaw who's the, the founder ceo of, of naked water and i was kind of saying you know obviously what i wanted to do with with agr1 as we as we set it up but i was saying i want to create a brand i want there to be a brand where you know you, a customer when they walk into that first aisle in the supermarket because the first section of every supermarket in the world is always the fresh produce aisle that people can just look up and see a section then you know a branded section and they automatically know in their head you know this is hydroponically grown no more than 200 miles away from here it's not being air freighted it's packaged in sustainable packaging i can scan the box i can see exactly how many hours it is from harvest i can see the name of the person that planted it the name of the person that harvested it and i can get all of the data on that product um and adrian just went well, why don't you just call it naked and i was like that's a brilliant idea um <laughs> Well, if anybody so, should recommend it, it should be Adrian. Indeed, indeed. Um, so you know, we are we aren't directly anything to do with with Naked Water at this point. Um, Adrian is one of our our founding shareholders, founding investors. He's our, our CCO as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's part of the the, you know, the the vision. Part of our mission is to basically create the the, the biggest, most internationally recognisable brand within fresh produce. Um, and and it's it's the most exciting thing for me is that this is achievable. This is going to happen in the next twenty ten to twenty years, hopefully sooner, um, because it has to happen. Um, consumers want this, um, and it's not just limited to us growing, you know, fruits and vegetables. Like I said, you know, touching on one plant, you know, on hemp, that opens the door to so many different byproducts. And why would we cultivate that plant and then sell it to somebody else? which is, you know, will be an A-grade quality plant crop for them to then go away and, and, and manufacture and fabricate alternative products. We would do that ourselves and it would all fall under the naked branding and, you know, be it naked clothing, naked biofuels, naked building materials, naked nappies, naked protein, naked paint. You know, there's over 50,000 of these. I could sit here all day and just, you know, list off different byproducts. But, um, you know, it, this is this is a game-changing moment for us as as mankind, where you know a lot of the systems that we have in place don't really work. You know, at the start of 2020, before coronavirus hit, there was two bit well, over two billion people who didn't have sufficient access to food and water. You know, do you think that's acceptable? Because I, I, you, you, we, I know you. You're, some of the listeners will know that you've got kids. I know you've got kids. I've, I've got a, a five, soon to be six-year-old son. And you know, if, if I knew a fraction of what I know now about where we're at as mankind, there's no way I would have brought a child into this world. Because the reality is if, if drastic things don't change with regards to our food and water supply chain system in the next 10 to 15 years, we run out of enough water to be able to continue to grow the food that we need. And that is potentially how it ends. We will have a global food crash. And how pathetic would it be for us as a species for that to be how we go? 
you know, we ran out of food and water. But all of this, you know, the well, stupid... The water thing, you're, you're touching on the water thing. I've heard a lot of people say that the next, or a lot of, um, you know, futurists predict that the next major conflagration is going to be over water. Um, let's, if 92% of it, if we can use that a lot better, then surely we unlock this this water table the right term but this this new the, the resource all of a sudden is no longer scarce well, hydroponics can lead to a up to a 90 percent reduction in water use in farming um so you know that could massively reduce how much water but you know like, like what you're saying that yeah that is what people say and people have been saying that for a long time you know, it's, it's like that the bond film one of the first daniel craig ones quantum yeah, solace yeah. um yeah. that no one got at the time everyone was like that's rubbish and I remember walking out of the cinema going, oh, that's, that's rubbish, that. And now it's one of my favourite ever Bond films. Because I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this is going to happen, isn't it? Someone, you know, and and, and there, you know, all of the big companies are getting involved with water. Let's be honest, it's more realistic than Moonraker. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, you know, but all of the big, big you know, conglomerates are getting involved in, in farming to some extent, be it, you know, in the, the nutrients or the fertilizers or actually directly into farming. You know, James Dyson's going very heavily into farming now. Jim Rogers has been saying this for the last 10, 20 years at least. You know, farmers of the future are going to drive Lamborghinis. Every time he gets interviewed on, you know, be it CNN or Bloomberg, whoever it might be, you know, he's like, you know, can you drive a tractor? Oh, you should learn to drive a tractor. Um, you know, get yourself into farming. And, and it was because of Jim Rogers, you know, me, me listening to Jim when I'd, I'd left food and beverage and I was working in finance in Moscow, um, the way he talked about Asia and the opportunity that would be in Asia in the next decade, um, it was a, a big reason for why I wanted to come to Asia. Um, but also, you know, the way he talked about farming, I always had it in the back of my mind. As soon as there was an opportunity that arose for me to get into to farming, then, then I would jump at it. Um, I didn't think it would happen like it did. Um, it was just at the time when my son was born and I had that realisation moment when skin to skin time the night he was born and just thought, you know, I, I need to change. I, I don't really like who I am, what I'm about. Um, and a, a month or so later, I, I was presented hydroponic farming uh, to, to the extent it's, it is now. You know, like, I, like we, I said at the start, you know, I, I knew about hydroponics through you know people who I knew who were cultivating cannabis and marijuana that way and it was the best way to grow that and, and then I was shown you know, a, a greenhouse in the middle of a desert in, in Oman growing leafy green produce that was edible and, and at first I, I thought no this can't be real um, but it is and and this is this is where we're at now is, is that you know, everything has to change in our, our food production system and supply chain system um, because this year you know airplanes aren't flying around like they were doing before and a, 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 a large portion of, of a commercial airline flight was was taken up by cargo, um, and that's why you know there are products that are missing off supermarket shelves now, or the prices of prices of things are going up, um, and the quality of, of of things are going down. The reason why I've I've, we've lo I've located myself in, in Malaysia in Johor was I was in Singapore, um, and most people listening. Everyone's heard of Singapore. Most people think Singapore is a pretty big nation because of its financial standing, but it's a tiny little rock off the bottom of Malaysia, um, and it imports over. The official statistic is over 90% of its food is imported. 
it's probably more closer to 100% of its food is imported. And it doesn't have land. You know, there is some small bits of land inside of Singapore, but it doesn't have the land mass to be able to feed itself. And just literally, a, I'm, where I'm sat now, I'm maybe four or five miles away from, from the island of Singapore. Before you know, this year, I could have jumped in, in my car and in 30 minutes been in the city centre of Singapore. Um, so, and the cost of everything where I am is a third or less of what it is in Singapore, be it land, water, electricity, labour. So it makes perfect sense to, to do the operation here. Um, another big reason was that a lot of those, somewhere between 300,000 and half a million people from Johor would travel to Singapore every day to work to, to earn a higher salary. Well, there's a way to be able to create those kinds of jobs here, higher paid jobs, not necessarily jobs where people are working a 12 hour shift and having to spend three or four hours travel every day. Um, and th that's another part of, of what we want to create. We want to create a happy working environment. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned to yourself on, when we spoke earlier in the week, Brent, you know, my ex-wife worked for Facebook and I was very fortunate that I got to go to a lot of the Facebook offices around the world, um, including spending a lot of time at MPK when, when I was in Silicon Valley, which is Menlo Park, which is Facebook's head office, um, which is no, it's, you know, renowned as being the, the Disneyland of workplaces at Menlo Park because there's everything there. There's, you know, Basketball courts, football pitches, table tennis, ice cream parlors, laundries, get your hair cut, you know, whatever you want to do at work, you can do. And it's free. Um, people go to work at, at Facebook at MPK, people rock up at 7, 8 a.m. and they're there till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Now, they don't, they're not working the whole time they're there, but they're happy. And they end up getting a lot of work done because they're not worried about any of these other things in life. Very positive conversations without the worries going on. Indeed. And and, Indeed. and you're in the, the right vicinity with the, mm -hmm. with, the, with like minded people. Yeah. Yeah. So with regards to entry point, I mean, we're, yes. we've, we've done we've, we've built a successful proof of concept um, here in Malaysia. And we're, we're just in the process at the moment of, of selling off. 40% of the Malaysian entity um, that was given a valuation of 10 million US dollars. So we're selling off 40% of that for $4 million, which is to commercialize and scale. Um, we have a couple of projects which are with other, other companies at the moment here in Malaysia that we're, we're getting close to, to finalizing on. And then what we're, what the intention is, is that in, in the early stage of, of 2021, we'll, we'll do a series A. Um, and we're looking to make a statement to the rest of the industry and going straight in for a 100 million US dollar Series A um, to commercialize and scale into one or two other locations. Um, the main focus was to you know, feed Singapore initially. Um, because of the lockdown situation earlier this year, we weren't able to get our produce across the border into Singapore. So we decided to sell it locally into the Johor market, um, into you know, the high-end restaurants and hotels here. And, and that's been very well accepted. Um, we recently had Jim Rogers actually join our board of directors, which is you know, really cool for myself to, to have Jim join us um, because you know, he's the reason why I came here, not, not directly, just through me listening to him and having him as my guru. Um, but I reached out to Jim a couple of years ago. I've had a, a few meetings with him in person. Um, we had a call earlier this year, I showed him the inside of the facility. And you know, it's it's amazing to, to have Jim join us and have his his knowledge and expertise and, and his network to to our 
to our reach now. Um, and then like, it, it's a matter of you know, who wants us, you know, which, which nation, which governments, which you know, high-end investors, individual investors. Brenton's got his, got his hand up there for those people who obviously can't see. Um, but yeah, who wants us? Where do you want us? And how big do you want to be involved in this? You know, do you want to just be an investor? Do you want to be someone who's working in the business? You know, th- this is this is an opportunity for, for anybody to to get involved and be a part of something which is going to be huge and which is going to change the face of, of food and, and our supply chain globally. You're not wrong. I mean, I see this. This is like one of those. Over the last, you know, while we've been alive, we're, we're of a similar sort of age group. Um, we have seen massive changes in technology that have so often democratised whatever it is that they've come to revolutionise. So I see media. We now have a democratised media. Anybody can be a publisher. And really, not everybody should be a publisher. <laughs> When it comes to farming, this is the democratized, potentially the democratization of farming. If you want to get into farming, if like I'm thinking, how do I set up a local, high quality produce um, store that grows its own produce for my neighbourhood, for Massey, where I'm in West Auckland? Like there is an immediate entry point. You start off with a bit of a, an online store for locals. You know, there's marketplaces. We've had the democratization of marketplaces with being able to reach the market in any way that we choose. We've got the democratization of omnichannel. We've got the democratization of ad technologies, of tracking. Anybody can really start their own business. And I've got a, um, a wonderful uh, friend called um, Rick Webb who definitely talks about the corporation of one growing. But for, for people, anybody, surely, farming is like back to the earth, back to what we've done for millennia, for, for since, you know, for all of our ancestors. And now that's possible if you, and even if you don't have property with your business models where there'll be some people who have just got land that they want to make use of. There'll be people who have that want to trade their very fine resource of um, masterful growing techniques. Um, so, well, there's people who, who just have capital and, and want to invest in the next big thing, um, yeah. because you know we, 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 there's been so many trends in the last 20, 30 years of investors going into different sectors. Most you know, one of the most recent ones has been the cryptocurrency thing, and and that's not a real asset. Um, but whereas what we're talking about you know, are real assets, and it's an asset which is then also generating revenue, you know. They say money doesn't grow on trees, but I say money money grows inside of hydroponic facilities and can grow all around the world. And we can be having it where it harvests on a daily basis. So it's printing money on a daily basis because everyone has to eat. You know, everybody who listens to this will have had at least one meal today and will have at least one more meal today, hopefully. Um, and, and that's what will go on for all of time. We have to have food to be able to continue to live the two most precious commodities most important commodities on earth in my opinion are food and water um and they're the two most precious ones because everybody gets hangry you know you miss a couple of meals and and you're not your real self um you know a lot of the militaries around the world use the the, the term you know any nation is two missed meals away sorry three missed meals away from a revolution and you know we are on the precipice of, of 
there being a global food crash. And when that happens, I don't think that it will be a case where, you know, we have a United Nations anymore because it will be literally a free-for-all of people fighting amongst themselves for food and water. But it doesn't have to happen. Like I said earlier, you know, how, how pathetic will that be if, if that's how, as a species, we, you know, the numbers come down drastically because we're all fighting over food and water? Especially when we've got the technology to not have this problem. It's it's like we've we've got this pain point that we have a way of sort of of getting rid of, but we we're just not doing it. Yeah, the the, the answer is there, and we're ignoring it. But it would be it would be beyond ridiculous to allow ourselves to die out when we have the technology that can easily feed us. Um, you say how valuable. I'm a bit of a gamer, and God, when you when you running around a first-person shooter. God, you're looking for apples. <laughs> you're looking for food. It's, you, can't get, you can't do anything without the food. It's the, it's the absolute building block of our day. Yep, indeed. Indeed. So, so entry points with you. With the democratisation of farming, what's at this point, if somebody had some available land that, through a friend, through somebody that they knew, um, they didn't have anything else to do. They wanted to make a difference. And, and hey, feeding people, not bad, without any of the, the long-distance um, food um, supply chains. What sort of investment do people need to make? I mean, it's this expensive equipment. It's not massively expensive. It's nowhere near as expensive as it was 10 to 15 years ago. It's a bit like with solar panels, really. Um, you know, solar panels 10, 15 years ago were really expensive and unfortunately didn't really work very well. Um, the systems that were available 10, 15 years ago were very expensive. They did work nowhere near as well as the systems that work now. Um, our system that we're using inside of Marjorie, the greenhouse that we've built here, um, the greenhouse is the first of its kind design and build in the world. Um, we're the first people to use the system outside of the Americas. Um, it was designed by our in-house horticultural expert, Joseph Chidiak. Um, and it's, it's really about, you know, depending upon the size and the scale of, of a facility being built. Um, but you know, in this part of the world, in, 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 in Southeast Asia, um, you know, our construction cost for a, for a one hectare size facility is around five million US dollars. Um, but the amazing part of that is that once it's built, it's then basically paid for itself within the first two years of harvesting. Um, and then you know, it's, it's profit from there. So it depends on what type of model somebody wants to have as to whether they want to be taking a dividend from that um, or they, they want to just roll it back into the facility to just keep expanding. Um, and the more you continue to expand over a longer period of time, it's, um, I mean, the, the best way I, I can sort of explain this is like, I don't know if you ever remember that game Farmsville. Uh, most people were playing on their smartphone. It's basically that. Um, you know, you build one greenhouse and then that greenhouse pays for the second greenhouse. And then once you've got two greenhouses, you pay for the third greenhouse in a faster time. And then once you've got three greenhouses, it pays for the fourth greenhouses in an even faster time. And before you know it, you literally you have a team who all they do is they do clearing of land and they become experts at that. And they just move on to the next section. They clear another section, they move on to the next section. And, you know, almost like for those people that have been to you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, or, or some of the parts of Southeast Asia where there's mass property development going on. You know, you have a group of guys who come in and all they do is the concrete slab. And then the next guys come in, they put the foundations in. And the next guys come in, they put the roof on. And, you know, they become experts at that. And again, the beautiful part about where we are here is that we're able to just create these jobs where jobs, I mean, jobs globally at this moment in time are desperately needed. You know, 
I try my hardest to try and stay away from mainstream media. But when you go onto any mainstream media at the moment, it's just job loss, job loss, project loss, you know, mothball, setback two years. You know, we need to create jobs now. Um, and I, I, made, I made a decision very early on that we're not going to go with automated farms and using robots because we don't need to create jobs for robots. We need to create jobs for people. You know, the population is out of control. That was the case before this year. And, and even with coronavirus, the population has still grown this year substantially. Um, you know, it, it's, it's jobs, 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 and, and the jobs which are long-term sustainable jobs in a sector which is not, you know, in 10 years' time, there's not going to be a, an agricultural bubble where it just pops and we no longer need food because people like to eat. Um, and I love to eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love to eat delicious produce as well. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no downside to this. Um, at the moment, I mean, there's, there's a lot of money being pumped into the economy in New Zealand by the government. We've got um, a massive investment in apprenticeships, which is great. Um, as, but there's already been significant job losses and everybody's starting to know people. It's funny that we had a wage subsidy for quite some time and that's now gone. So the reality is starting to hit. But there's a lot of people now who don't have work who will be being invested in by the government through, thank goodness, we live in a country with social security so that there is a, um, a, a net. This has to be an opportunity for governments to invest in their their people. I mean, who doesn't, if, if as you've said, if you know how to play Farmville, you can do this, right? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And it's it's not, I, I don't see it as a competition. You know, people say, you know, who are you, who are the competitors in this space? But I, I don't see it as a competition because how can you see making sure that we have enough food and, and a, you know, a sustainable supply chain as a competition. You know, I, don't, I don't want to see any of the companies in the hydroponic sector, you know, go out of business or go bust. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't see it as a way at the moment where everyone's looking to go and pull off in different directions. Unfortunately, there just isn't anyone in this sector who are looking to be a sustainable farming company and also create a, you know, a, a truly sustainable supply chain. You mean there isn't anybody else? Because I pick that you've definitely got that mission in mind. I've not. I mean, I get this is this is this was why I decided to go and, and set up AGR one um, in early 2018 because I'd spent three years working. I worked with a company based in the Middle East. When I was in Silicon Valley, I worked with a lady called Deborah Wallazer. Um, she's the lady that created the the LED light vertical shelf stack system for NASA in the early 90s. Um, but yet her business were not doing those systems because they're so expensive to set up and, and then so expensive to operate and run it's almost impossible for you to be able to turn a profit and that's why you, know, you look at any of the big players who are in that sector of hydroponics be it your aero farms crop one holding um, plenty a few of the other big players you know they've raised massive amounts of money over the last 10 years but yet they're using a lot of what they're raising to keep themselves afloat um, because when it costs 60 us dollars to to grow a, a kg of, of rocket there's no profit you can't sell you can't you know very few kitchens around the world are going to buy rocket for a higher price than what they're buying their steak for um, so you know, it has to be what's actually achievable and, and what, what 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 is you know commercially viable and um, like I said earlier, 
There are some parts of the world where when we build systems, we will have to use light subsidies, which is basically what they do in Holland. Um, you know, but Holland's now the second largest exporter of food in the world behind America. You know, 80, 90 years That's ago. True. Yeah. I did not know that. That's amazing. And I've been to Holland and yeah. I've been to America. Those are vastly different sized countries as well. Holland's a dot on the map compared to, to most nations. And uh, that is all true, the, the embrace of hydroponics, yeah. you think? Yeah, no, it definitely is. There was, a, there was a meeting just over 10 years ago between the Dutch and the Chinese called Innovating Metropolitan Agriculture. And basically the Dutch went to the Chinese and just said, look, you know, we've got 70, 80 years experience in this. You guys can, you know, build things on mass scale. This is what the world needs. You know, will you help us make this widely available? And the Chinese you know, eyes lit up and they were like, yeah. Uh, and that's, they've, they've done that now, China. China are the, are the you know, the main exporter and, and manufacturer of, of hydroponic technology for the rest of the world, like they are with most, you know, renewable and sustainable sectors, be it solar panels, renewable energy, et cetera. Um, but again, a, a big takeaway for myself from this year has been, it was great having one nation being the factory for the world, but if we have lockdowns and borders get closed, that doesn't work. Um, so part of what we want to do as we, we grow and, and, and scale up over the next couple of years is, so for instance, with New Zealand, the first thing that we would want to build when we come into New Zealand would be a factory a factory that would manu manufacture and fabricate all of our greenhouse and, and the technology we would put inside of the greenhouse. So we create jobs straight away in a factory, manufacturing the equipment and the technology that we need for a greenhouse. Then once the first greenhouse rolls out the, the factory door, it doesn't spend two months, a month and a half in a shipping container coming around the world. It just rolls out in the back of a truck and gets built next to the factory. And then you know the factory just spits out greenhouses and the technology and science to go inside of the green inside of the greenhouse facility, um, and we just keep building around there. And then each greenhouse that gets built, it's one there's been jobs created in building and, and 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 putting up the greenhouse and the equipment inside of it. But then there's jobs created inside of it, and then after a couple of months of growing, there's jobs in the harvesting and then the subsequent supply chain for the packaging and the delivering of things. Um, I think I said it earlier, but, you know, this is the time for us to create jobs. It's, it's, it's so important for us to create jobs because so many jobs have been lost this year. And we're not talking about jobs which are massively labor intensive. We're not talking about jobs where people are outdoors getting battered by the elements all year. You know, we're talking about jobs where people can come to work and enjoy their job and be working in a, you know, a, a nice environment inside of a greenhouse facility, working with plants, nice bit of music playing. And, and not doing 12-hour shifts, you know, six, eight-hour working days, have happy working places, you know, where we, we can have sort of like what they have at Facebook, but within the ag sector. Um, and for, for the people that get involved, be it those as, as an investor or those people who decide to come and lease land for, to us or, or actually just have their own facility built or come and work within the company, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years' time, when this is the biggest farming entity in the world and Naked is the most internationally recognizable brand. People can go, I was a part of that from the start. Because um, everyone wants a legacy. You know, and this is this is an opportunity for people to be involved in something like that. I think I think you're right. Everybody does want a legacy. I think a lot of people have given up on the idea that they can leave a legacy in some way. 
I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of people not even thinking about legacy because of the the insecurity that this year has created. But what a what a fantastic opportunity! I'm, you're not getting rid of me, John. I'm uh, I'm involved now. Um, I'm so excited by this. I just like if there's anybody listening who who knows people in the following industries, if they've got people in farming, in agriculture, if they know people in food processing, health professionals, um, food food alchemists, and anybody who eats food, which I'm pretty sure puts us in the in the um, consideration set of those 8 billion, all of those 8 billion people, John, then, yeah, what's the best way for, for, for them to get in contact? And by the way, please share it with any of those people in those um, industries that you know if you are listening to this podcast, because as I'm sure you'll agree after listening to, to um, John, it's, it's, uh, this is something that's, uh, that's exciting, it's vital, and it's, and it's happening right now. Yeah. I mean, like you say, I, I want to bring everybody together and have everybody on the same page. Now, everyone's not always going to agree, and that's, that's the brilliant part about you know, us as people. You, know, no, no, you don't always get on with everyone. You don't always agree with something that everybody says. And there's probably things that I've said that, that some people won't agree with, but that's fine. Um, let's find a way to, to make this happen because it has to happen. Um, you know, there's a couple of ways for people to get in touch. You know, there's the emailing the company's info at agr1.net. Um, or you can connect with myself via LinkedIn or, or look at the company on LinkedIn. Um, quite a few of our team and founding shareholders are connected to the company as well on there so people can see who's involved so far, who, who the, the Agvengers are so far. Um, but, you know, we, we, this isn't a, the, the people that are listed as team members at the moment. That's not the restriction as to who, who the team are and, and who the team will be moving forward. Um, you know, I want to create an environment, working environment for, for all of the, the ag tech and agricultural and horticultural specialists around the world to, to come together and be in one place. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole wide range of different types of crops that we know we can grow at the moment. There's ones which we're researching and developing to, to find a way to be able to improve the way in which we can cultivate those hydroponically or even just find out if we can and how we can. Um, but some people you speak, some of the experts I speak to in, in the industry believe that everything will be able to be cultivated hydroponically. And some of them don't believe that everything will be able to be hydroponically cultivated. Um, but then when you, you, know, you dig down into those people who, who are saying that they don't believe it's possible to cultivate some plants hydroponically, after a little bit of a chat with them and backwards and forwards, they start to think, well, actually, yeah, no, yeah, actually, maybe we can. Or, well, we can, yeah, you're right. Um, but... Let, let's 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 all come together and, and let's work together for, for the greater good for the for the bigger opportunity that there is here in front of us um because we get one shot at this and you know if the banks crash this year which there's a possibility they will there'll be a bailout um if the, if the property market globally crashes again there'll be a bailout you know if we have a, a global food crash or if a nation has a food crash there isn't a bailout you know, that you can't just create food overnight and print food or type, you know, punch a keyboard a load of times to create food that didn't exist five minutes before. You can with money and you, you can with the property market, um, but that's not the case with food. There will be no bailout for a food crash. We need action to take place. We need to take a leaf out of the Book of the Netherlands from 70, 80 years ago. You know, governments need to be incentivizing 
they need to be you know endorsing people to to go and, and get funding. into this space funding to funding get into yeah that's the this. biggest thing is funding i mean banks as well if there's anybody i know i've got some some really um influential people in the banking industry as part of my network surely this is the sort of investment into people into small businesses that is is almost you're guaranteed to be winning with this you you're guaranteeing the level of produce and is there any if mr bank manager look around you is there anybody that's not going to be paying for for high produce that lasts longer that's um, better for the environment it it I had a. We talk about um, the company who were using the QR code, the the cookie project. You know, we uh, on Wednesday, Eric was sharing with me some of the Bain stuff around Maslow's hierarchy of needs, about all the feelings and where they fit. Um, this really is about, um, as well as all of those base levels and food and safety. It's also right at that very top level, isn't it? It's the self-actualization, the self-trans. If you want to get involved in saving the species, this is a pretty um, convenient. I've said it. I'll say it again. Entry point. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's time. You know, now is. I mean, it, it was really it was probably time a number of years ago, um, but there's for the last de couple of decades, there's been two or three meetings every year where delegates and, and people from different governments around the world fly into different parts of the world two or three times a year for a conference and they all sit down and talk about food security and what they can do and then they fly off and then they come back six months later, five months later and have the same conversations. Um, the time for talking on this is, is gone. And you know, we, we, the big takeaway from, from 2020 for me has to be that the supply chain, food supply chain globally doesn't work um, you know it, it was broken before this 40% of what gets manufactured and grown from farmers is thrown away that's not acceptable the, the, the common misconception that you know we don't have enough for the need is wrong we do we don't have enough for the greed we don't get it to the right places in the right time um, but the, you know we know what the tech we know we know what the answer is to, to, to resolve this issue and that's you know mass scale hydroponic farming close to market you know, we can grow most of the crops that we are eaten where, wherever they need to be consumed um i think it's like 70 percent of the world's food comes from 15 different plants that's silly isn't it yeah yeah it's fairly limiting yeah well well you can do think something about that now um john this has been brilliant i know that we're actually gonna i'm, I'm sure that we sh we should anyway we should definitely re um, circle back to how you're doing as um, you know, six months time, because I predict that you know your your growth trajectory is going to be pretty large, and I'd love to hear more about it um, maybe after Christmas. So if you if you'd be keen, come back and let the listeners know um, what's been happening and and where where to next. Um, going back one finally to your point about yes, now is the time. There are two times to do things it's when you find out about it and now um we didn't do it before so let's get on to it now so john thank you so much my friend um flick us a load of every, anything that you want to share with the listeners and we'll put it in the show notes perfect appreciate that Brendan. cool no worries well you take care and we'll speak again soon great stuff have a great day cheers man 
I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. Um, as a further sign of gratitude, we'd like to pass on a 30% discount to all listeners um, on the HTO Educate Learning Management System. We, uh, we've, we've launched it recently um, with a base level of um, courses that really focus on helping companies get through this really tough year, looking at mental health management, looking at um, managing virtual teams, setting up home offices. There's a, a, a very strong focus on health and safety as well, because we certainly believe that at the moment, your customers, the very base level of customer service that they're expecting is to be safe when they're doing business with you. So, so please have a look um, at the website, see whether it's something that could be of value to you and your teams in a year where it's very difficult to, to find time to train and to refresh skills and we'll put the we'll put the address in the notes um, to this episode um, along with the, the discount code which is HTO podcast 30 but yeah that will be in the notes so once again thank you and I look forward to talking with you on the next podcast.